Greetings, everyone. It's Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, host of the Hardwood Podcast. I want to thank you for listening and thank you for your support of our podcast program. During COVID-19, we know that it's challenging for people, so we offer our condolences and send our heartfelt, warm, best wishes to you to please stay safe and to also be supportive and patient with each other. These episodes were recorded differently. They were, they were recorded virtually, so there may be a little bit of a delay, a little something here and there, but we ask you to pay attention to the quality of the conversation. And I want to thank our engineer, Chris Perkins, for doing such an amazing job of putting this podcast together. So please, everyone, enjoy the Hardwood Podcast. Authentically. And I think also the Black American experience is so unique in how we have lived in, how we have persisted through, and how we have thrived in nature, in spite of being restricted from going and enjoying nature freely because of those signs that said that we were not allowed from those trees from which our bodies hung. Yes. We gotta have a really specific conversation, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. And until we have a, a specific conversation that is rooted in healing and love mm -hmm. and atonement, mm -hmm. we will not move forward. And we will not have all the, the benefits and the joy and opportunity to heal as a community but also to be participants in the healing that our earth needs now. Welcome to the Hardwood Podcast, a program dedicated to sharing ideas, thoughts, and voices of respected professionals in environmental studies that care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They all have lived and have work experiences that add to their outlook and understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we on the Hardwood Podcast are committed to sharing the voice as well as making space for others to ponder our dialogues. And I'm fortunate today to have the amazing Rue Map on the show. She is the founder, creator of Outdoor Afro, and so much more to share as she has done to bring more people of color and just people period into the outdoors and into nature. Listen as we interview her and she shares a love story of making outdoor Afro, her family background, even when she led Oprah through the forest. And as always, I ask you to send your thoughts and feedback to thomas.easley at yale.edu to let us know if you have ideas of speakers or future topics that we need to cover on the Hardwood Podcast. Thank I'm really honored here. to be here. All right. Yes. Uh, well, I know you're here for a few things. You know, uh, you're definitely going to be giving a keynote later, and I will be at that to take notes and learn, right. not to ask questions. Uh, and I know you've been helping our students, too, since you've been here in Turing Yale, Yale campus. Uh, and, and I have some questions, but I just want to be conversational with you. Absolutely. Okay. And why outdoor Afro? Just where did that come from? And after that, and the reason I say that, because I know there's people know you, but then I do want to know about you. So you are the most important. So I'm going to get to you. But I just want, why Outdoor Afro? Well, you know, Outdoor Afro is a song of my heart. It is a song of, of the story of my family 
who came to California in search of the warmth of other suns, as Isabel Wilkerson's book so poignantly illustrates and, and tells a story of how African Americans moved from the South to the North to the West to the East, mm -hmm. and they got on the train and got off as far as the train would go, and whenever the train would stop, that's, that, was, that was home. And Oakland, California became home for my parents from Texas and Louisiana and they brought with them a love for the outdoors and they nurtured that love by starting a ranch about 100 miles north of Oakland. And that ranch experience was really the catalyst for me to fall in love with nature. It was where I was able to observe the life cycle of a tadpole into a frog. Um, we had several acres of English walnut trees that I played in. Uh, I learned to drive on a tractor uh, rototilling through them, um, and I had this lovely relationship with the local creek where I was able to go and pick up uh, pollywogs or tadpoles and, and see their life cycle that would become a frog, and to pay attention to the watershed and how it would change. And the watershed meaning, you know, it was like this big creek that, you know, was tied to the lake nearby and um, the runoff from that lake combined with the rain and the seasons, you know, would mean that it, it would be higher or lower and that meant that I could run across it sometimes, uh, skipping on exposed rocks and other times I, I'd have to wade. And, <laughs> and uh, it was just this laboratory of nature, loving nature, and I hunted, I fished, um, I was very involved with um, you know, taking care of the cows and the pigs that were there. Um, we would have uh, family parties where there would be, a, you know, a big harvest. And my job, I remember when we harvest pigs one winter, mm -hmm. was to like be on the, the sausage making machine and my dad had seasoned the meat mm -hmm. and he was sending it down through the funnel. Yep. And I had um, lamb casings already strung on the funnel and it was my job to twist every, you know, several inches, you know, and those sausages would, would wind their way into um, a 10-gallon bucket, and um, they would eventually get strung up in the smoke house that my dad built, yep. and, and we would have these amazing hams. We had, you know, the smoked ham and a green ham, and we had, you know, all of this, like, connection to land and food and and then the other piece of it was about um, connections to people and family and so we had church services and celebrations fashion shows out birthday parties out there at the ranch right there you know overseeing all that land and and it was a place you know of hospitality so this love of nature hospitality celebration has been a part of my my growth as a human being mm -hmm. and a value of my family and I took that for granted you know I can wax on poetically about it today because it all makes sense now you know everything makes sense when you look back yeah. but at the time it was just you know the ABC's of me it was just how my life was you know and yeah. 
And I, I had a you know wonderful experience as a Girl Scout because I love being out in nature with other girls and learning in, in a community of like-minded people my age. And then I went on and was an Outward Bound student and learned a lot about mountaineering for the very first time. Because even though I, you know, we loved the outdoors, my parents were not putting on backpacks and climbing mountains <laughs> on you know the PCH, the Pacific. Right. Uh, Crest Trail uh, in California. Yep. So I had a chance to do those things for the very first time as a young adult. And then the other part that was unique about my life as a child and teenager is that I was exposed to a lot of digital technology and was coding at a very young age. So altogether, my life was just about, you know, nature and family and technology. And all of that kept building on itself throughout my life until I had this moment of revelation that a mentor inspired me to come to terms with. And it was a moment where I was thinking about going you know, to, to grad school across the country and she knew that by that time I had you know, three little kids and I was divorced and it was gonna be a big deal to make that kind of a change in my life. And she just sat me down and she was like, you know, Rue, if time and money were not an issue, what would you do? And it was literally the key in a lock that turned. And I opened my mouth and my life fell out. And I said, I'd probably start a website to reconnect African Americans to the outdoors. And it, I did that. <laughs> and she did that. <laughs> Okay, so, okay, if you're listening, okay, you didn't see what I saw, but, you know, he sat back in his seat like, wow, and that's exactly what I did. I sat back, she sat back, because that truth was so powerful, yes. you know, it was, you know, the sound of the world opening up at my feet, and in two weeks after that conversation, Outdoor Afro was born. I just grabbed a blogger template and started telling my stories the same stories that I'm sharing with you right now about growing up wild and free and in family and and in you know communities that helped me to grow and and push myself and and learn about who I who I was and what I was made of and how I wanted more people who looked like me to have that experience but we didn't see representation of my story out there in the world I didn't see people who looked like me, a woman in her 30s, you know, who, you know, was not particularly, you know, um, the stereotype of what a mountaineer looks like or, you know, or any number of, you know, outdoor recreation, you know, um, you know, visuals were at the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And so Outdoor Afro became a platform of telling a new story, a new narrative. And there are people who responded to that story all around the country and said, hey, that's my story too. Or here's a part of your story that, that reminds me of something I did when I grew up. Mm -hmm. So that's when I realized that we had a visual representation problem, that people who look like me and you were always connected to nature but it wasn't lifted up and seen as, as it was in our lives. Because when you sit down and you talk to people about the outdoors and what they love about the outdoors, and I like to start there with most people when we get together as part of the Outdoor Afro community, you hear all kinds of stories about grandma's garden or fishing with my uncle 
or the walks in the neighborhood or laying on a beach and listening to the sound of the waves under the sun. You know, like these, these are our stories. These, this is our nature. And then our conservation, you know, looks like, you know, um, quilting. You know, like getting those raggedy clothes, you know, in a bag and, and making a blanket out of them. Um, or getting, you know, the milk carton and using that um, over, you know, uh, again, you know, to, to store fish in the freezer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's so many yeah. things that we're yeah, apart. Right exactly. These are, but this is our heritage. This is who we are. And, um, and so I just... I just realized that, that we, we just had to tell a new narrative of what being outside and being a conservationist um, and just being, you know, lovers and, and connectors of the environment and the natural world really was. And, and, to make, really make, and make it jazzy, you know, like make it fun, make it accessible, you know, make it uh, a way that we didn't have to fit into the usual you know, ways of talking about it, but that we could create something that was, you know, fun mm -hmm. and approachable mm -hmm. and attractive to people, you know. Um, so Outdoor Afro just evolved from the blog to a community of connection, and I've been able to train and raise up leaders from that network. We have a total of 200 that we've trained since 2013, and today we have a current roster of 90 men and women who represent 30 states, and we have about 40,000 people now in our participation network who are getting outside, hiking, biking, barbecuing, camping, birding, whitewater rafting, you name it. And they're doing it in groups that help them to learn how to do it, but also to meet other like-minded people with the intention we have to really help people get their nature swagger back mm -hmm. and to help people to just get connected to that which is already a part of our history of being black in America. Mm -hmm. Long answer, I know. No, that was but it, answer. but it's not like uh, I was out with my girlfriends one day and just decided <laughs> to do outdoor Afro. I mean, because it's there's a yeah. there's a there's a weight there is a um, you know there's his, there's there's history that needs to be honored in 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 the, our beginnings, and that's why you know I I it, it's important to me to talk about my parents and and talk about you know all that they've given me and they're no longer living but outdoor afro is the platform that keeps that ranch experience alive all over the world and all over you know so when i go out with outdoor afro i'm recreating that very experience and that feeling that i grew up with no matter where people are thank you okay uh as expected, uh, I'm a little, <laughs> little speechless at the moment. Yes, okay, let me see if I can find my next be, question. This look, is amazing. Look, we be having church. Okay? Hey, hey, praise. Look. Let's get it. <laughs> okay. Let's get no, it. I'm now. serious. Yeah. Like, like, this is, I mean, because you're some, waking something up. Sometimes I just be talking and I just be, it, it flows. And, yeah. I, and I just am thankful that you've given, you know, the opportunity to, to, to talk about, you know, this work that 
is as personal as it is professional for really all of us, you know? I mean, we all have our own personal, you know, reasons and motivations for being here. Um, You know, so it's, I appreciate the space to honor all of it. I appreciate you. Well, I have a question. I'm going to take, that was a water bottle. Uh, Just a little bit of a slant. One, because when I first, you know, uh, when when I first, you know, connected with you, I was back in North Carolina. And I was just in love with, you know, seeing you leading it, you originating it, and the name. Yes. And then, of course, you know, I think about the diaspora, you know, and how, you know, and some people want to be, well, I know you're always inclusive, but I'm saying some people want inclusion. And I'm curious about the, first, I still love outdoor Afro. Yes. If I went balding, I would have one. Yes. Um, Have you ever received any, let's say, like, resistance with the name and then people maybe even using the name as a way of excluding themselves? From participating in, no. you know, in the movement? Okay. We're right, so, I, you know, it's really, I mean, I guess if I looked for it, I'd find it. <laughs> but people do not come for me because people really get that this is a love story. Like Outdoor Afro is focused, unapologetically focused, but non-exclusive. I mean, if you look at my board, if you look at the people who come to events, if you look at our partners, it's the United Nations, okay? Mm-hmm. Because Outdoor Afro is just, and not merely, but really is a quilt, or rather, it is a patch in the quilt of connecting everybody, right? Yes. So like, you know, and this is, you know, and our, our, our patch is black, mm-hmm. okay? Own it. Our patch is black and there's nothing to run away from or atone for here because this is, this kind of of specificity I have found Mm -hmm. has actually been liberating and universal in that the more clear you are about who you're talking about. Yes. And where you're talking about, people then can see themselves clearly in proximity to that location. If I were to, I could easily call, you know, if we were just all playing safe, we could call Outdoor Afro instead, people of color in the environment. Mm -hmm. Who are we talking about? We're talking about everybody and nobody. And it doesn't honor the unique contributions that we can celebrate all together, right? So, because we don't posture to know about, you know, the, the Hmong stories of connecting to nature or, you know, um, the Latino narratives the native narratives, they're each very important to to recognize, honor, and celebrate from and by people who know those narratives, who live those stories, and who can represent them authentically. And I think also the black American experience is so unique in how we have lived in how we have persisted through 
and how we have thrived in nature in spite of being restricted from going and enjoying nature freely because of those signs that said that we were not allowed from those trees from which our bodies hung. We gotta have a really specific conversation, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. And until we have a, a specific conversation that is rooted in healing and love and atonement, we will not move forward. And we will not have all the, the benefits and the joy and opportunity to heal as a community, mm -hmm. but also to be participants in the healing that our earth needs now. Mm -hmm. Mm. Wait a minute, can I, okay, what, I, I need to ask you about that. Okay, you just, that, that was a good segue. How would you, or how do you, no, it's not a word because you do it, communicate that value, what you just said, you know, because we know that our earth is hurting. Mm -hmm. And it's, in my opinion, I'll say my opinion, it's hurting because of our activity. It's hurting, I think also because of how we don't value each other and don't see each other, and that's led into other things. You know, you have a strong and a beautiful, handsome audience all over. I've been asked this question because I work in diversity sometimes. How do you say or talk about climate change to black folk? Uh -huh. And then I go, well, first, I don't walk in with climate change. You know, first, it's my community. I'm walking in a different way, reconnecting, connecting, da-da-da. We probably don't get to climate change until after we build together, you know. And I probably don't get to climate change until I know a little bit more about them anyway, you know. My question to you, you know, um, you know, as a scholar in this work and also a founder and an originator in many ways, how, how would you either suggest people do that or how do you do it? Well, for us, I'll give you one example right. of how, how we get there. I mean, just to be clear, mm -hmm. nothing happens faster than the speed of relationships. I can't tell, I can't say that enough, that if people don't have a relationship mm -hmm. with the outdoors, there's just, there's nowhere to go from there. But where we get, you know, in terms of like real practical work and expression that leads us to that outcome is the recognition that we have an inheritance in this country because of Jim Crow, of black children who are drowning at five times the rate of white children, ages five through 19. CDC can, you know, confirm that for anyone who wants to know. The reason why is because there were signs, there were barriers that prevented youth and their families from going to public pools, from to beaches. And what that means is if someone doesn't know how to swim, if a child doesn't know how to swim, they're not gonna, you know, put a kayak in a lake and ease into its tippiness. Mm -hmm. They're not going to drop a pole, you know, into a stream. But importantly, they're not gonna care about plastic in the ocean. So unless people have a relationship with water that is one that is not you know, with a barrier of fear of the unknown, of, of you know, of whatever, mm -hmm. then they're not going to be able to get into any kind of conservation conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so for me, it's like I see a building block of 
learn, like learn the skill, play, and care. You know? Okay. For instance, when I see a bunch of kids out, you know, picking up trash on a beach, you know, cigarette butts and things like that, mm -hmm. my, I come down, I'm like, have these kids ever played here? Mm. Have they ever dug their bare toes in this warm sand just because? Or is their first connection to this place work? So that's why we have to be very careful because people want to, you know, I call it like rushing to the altar. You know, you wouldn't like, <laughs> you wouldn't go to coffee with somebody and be like, hey, let's get married. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it can happen, but, you know, generally speaking, you needed to get to know somebody. True, yes. So this is the same way we've got to treat our relationships that we want people to have with the environment. Mm -hmm. Let them get, get a chance to get to know our environment in all the ways that it is and all the ways that it can be, you know, real and experienced in people's lives that that feel relevant you know helping people to you know just start to notice birds on their you know daily walk from the office you know or just you know again incorporating nature as part of you know what people are already doing versus you know inviting people to do something that's totally outside of their their world or their scope of interest I mean people are just People have very impacted schedules these days. There, you've got you know children to pick up at a certain time. From daycare, you're going to get fined. You got dinner to put on the table. You got you know an elder parent maybe to look out for. On the weekends, you got the kids got to get to practice. On Sunday, there's church for a lot of us. How does the outdoors fit? You know, how does it make sense in busy working families? And so, you know, I think we, the, the traditional environmental movement has made it all about taking the poor kids someplace. And what that means is that we've left on the table a community of agency, of voters, mm -hmm. of people who are active and empowered in civic life, mm -hmm. who buy stuff, you know, I mean, you know, and so it's it's something that has been a challenge for me in this work that, you know, I'll get people over like, oh, gosh, Rue, it's so good what you're doing for the poor black children. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that may be obvious to you, but I think that people have, uh, have conflated working with specific communities as working with the most down and out of our communities. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we do have, we have people hurting, let's be clear, sure. yeah. okay? We have people hurting, you know, you don't have to look further than most of our cities now with the gentrification. And, you know, I've been thinking a whole lot about, you know, what is the intersection of conversation between camping for recreation and encampments of homeless people? You know, how are we, how are we holding space for where people have to rely on outdoor gear and equipment to survive in urban settings versus the privilege that some have to use it recreationally? 
you know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm. Be clear. I'm, I'm. I know that we've got a lot of big challenges, you know. But at the same time, I think we also have. We still. I go back to the new narrative. Mm-hmm. We still have a lot of empowerment mm-hmm. and a lot to tap into. A lot of agency mm-hmm. and a lot of people who can choose powerfully the outdoors and nature in to make it be in service of not only their own lives but in service of what again what the planet needs mm. okay well actually okay you're, you're, well first there are too many quotables rue i need to quote you on nothing <laughs> happens faster than the speed of a relationship can i quote you on that please for real yes that is because i know that's I yours i say that a lot i, I say that a lot so you gotta, feel Chris, free we got a quote feel okay free. so we got to quote you on that and yeah. then of course the intersection of camping and encampment of home we are having church. Praise. Okay, so look. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm having that speechless feeling again, Chris. Crap, man, because I'm excited. I just need a couple seconds. That's okay. all right. That's all right. All right. See, you said it like a church. That's all right. Okay, I know. I know. I'm like, baby, that's all right. Because look, I've been the one. Like, look, this is, I used to, I don't know if you know this, but I so, got my, my public speaking um, start in church. I, oh, because I'm like, yeah. I couldn't sing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I, my dancing leaves something to be. So the talent shows. I was not the one to put in the middle for the singing or the dancing. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that has to have a lot of other voices around it to, to sing, or a lot of other people dancing around me. Okay. <laughs> then I, I, I can do that. Blending. But when it came to talking, oh yeah, boy, it. I sure she sure can talk. She sure. <laughs> Go, go, baby, go ahead and read that scripture. Go ahead and read. Yeah, so I would be reading. I was reading and talking. And in fact, mm-hmm. you know, sadly, this weekend I have um, a funeral service of beloved Aunt Dorothy, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and I'm still being asked to speak. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm thankful that um, mm-hmm. that I have you know that that training that grounds me and that is still in service of, of my family and my community. Yes. No matter, you know, what my title is. Got you. Yeah. All right. Well, I definitely say Ashe for on, on Dorothy. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, thank you. And you, you you gave me my seconds. Okay, thank you. All right. Um, and as you said in your pre in the previous response, choose a narrative words with changing the narrative. Yes. And please, I'm not trying to just jump, but I, I, I got to go there. You, I, you started from a blog, okay? And now here we are. We have a community. Started uh, from a national, blog, now we're here. Global community. <laughs> now we're here. <laughs> we all also know recently you met with a lot of people's auntie. Um, and so I'm curious, you know, I'm, I wasn't there, you know, uh, you know, so I'm curious, like, you know, how did this come about? And then also I'd like to just kind of also, if you don't mind, if, if, if that's okay to pivot then, and what part of this has impacted or changed a little bit of your narrative since, because you've always been amazing, you are, you've always been brilliant. We know that those who've read your writing, which I have, we know that. But Thank then you. you got this new, but it's still built off of, you know, not elderly, but off of the old actually. Yeah. So can you say, how did this come about? And then... What's kind of changed the impact since then? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been not even two weeks, you know, mm-hmm. since the first contact. Oh, and I'm of, talking about with Oprah, everyone. I'm sorry. I'm oh, yeah, yeah. So, sorry. yes, My yes. Bad. So, so um, about about two weeks ago, I was literally making breakfast at home, okay. and I got a phone call, and it was a producer who kind of spoke vaguely about what she was asking me to do. 
because I had had an initial contact from a researcher from Oprah Winfrey's office back in the fall. But I knew that the tour was coming to town like in a matter of a week. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I was aware of it, I knew that I, they hadn't followed up with me. And so I didn't think that they were going to, you know, do anything. So I just forgot about it. Okay. But I get a call and she's like, hey, I just want to, you know, touch base with you. You know, we know that, you know, someone reached out to you in the fall, but, you know, we're, we're interested in, in doing, you know, a meditative styled hike with you. And we can't really say who it is, but um, we'd like to hear about what you do and, and if you'd be interested. Now, I had already had tickets to leave town to go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras with the man. Okay. So I was like making bread. I was literally stirring the pot on the stove, telling these people, well, I have plans to go to Mardi Gras. So initially, it hadn't even sunk in, you know, right. like, and the, and the first thing she said was, well, we can help you, you know, with your change fees. And I was like, all right, all right. So I'm just, <laughs> so I'm just thinking this through like super rationally, like any anybody else trying to get on my schedule. I'm just like, and it finally hit me like, wait a minute, I got to change my plans. Like this is not like any other kind of thing that I could ever have anticipated in my career. So whatever needs to change, we are going to change it. So one of the things that came up that I'm, I think two things I'm most proud of. The first thing is that there was a, the initial inclination to do the outing in another city, in a city that was different than where I grew up and different from where our outdoor Afro headquarters is. Okay. And I was able to, to persuade the producer to consider another option, and that was the Joaquin Miller Park Redwoods, which are part of the city of Oakland's Park and Recreation District. Mm -hmm. And these are my local redwoods that are not the Muir Woods that are characteristic of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. These are like your backyard redwoods in a municipal park mm -hmm. that I ran cross country among when I was in high school mm -hmm. that were where I you know took my little kids when they were learning how to hike it was a park very personal to me but it was a park that was also about a story of regeneration and I wanted to share those redwoods with Oprah and they said yes and they asked me to just put together a group of friends um, of my own choosing um, about no more than 12 and we were um, gonna do it you know by two it was Sunday it was when I was you know having the breakfast making but on the phone incident yeah stirring the pot you know acting like I had other things to do more important um, to set to, to Tuesday that it was decided yes we're gonna do it it's gonna happen and so I reached out to people and I said hey can't tell you why, because they told me not to tell. They were like, if you tell anybody, people could lose their job. So this is not for everybody. And, and, I, and I did not want everybody to know, because I didn't want it to be a media event. I yeah. wanted it to be really, I wanted to host something for Oprah that was really authentic mm -hmm. to who and what Outdoor Afro is. 
And, and so I didn't want it to be, I mean, you know, and if you tell people who it is, then they're going to prioritize it differently. So I didn't tell my people. Mm-hmm. They found out, like, literally when they got there at the park. Mm. And I just said, look cute. <laughs> I was like, just look, look cute. Oh, trust that's real. me. That's real. Trust yes. me. Just yes. come, but opportunity. be cute. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, and people did. And, mm-hmm. and so um, we got to the park, and, and this was. Mm. After, you know, I had gone and done a couple of run-throughs with their staff, you know. They okay, had to okay, out, sure, to do and, that. You know, so okay. there, was, there was definitely some prep that I'll, you know, skip over for the sake of time. But the day that she came, she drove all the way in to the trailhead, and I greeted her at her vehicle, and I walked her to the circle of outdoor afros there to greet her. And she hugged people, and then I said, okay. It's time to circle up. We like to have everybody go around the circle, say their name and their favorite place in nature. Does that work for you, Oprah? And she says it works for me. And that is the moment that the Outdoor Afro event began. And everybody had a chance to say their name and where they loved being in nature. Mm -hmm. And then we walked together up to a ring of redwoods and we got in that ring, mm-hmm. our, making our own ring. Mm-hmm. And in those Coast Redwoods, I talked about the story of clear cutting and how around the time of the gold rush, those trees that were you know, 20, 30, and even believed to be 40 feet wide were clear cut in service of housing needed because of the great migration of people trying to strike gold in California. Mm -hmm. So that area was clear cut of all those redwoods. Mm -hmm. But there we stood in the second and third generation of regrowth and regeneration of those redwoods. Mm -hmm. So I shared that story and then I asked everybody to think about what's been clear cut in their lives and what has a chance to regenerate today and there are people who just started testifying there are people who had were thinking about you know leaving their career and starting something new Um, leaving relationships to open up space for new relationships Um, and then we you know went around the circle at the very very end and everybody you know shared a word of of how they felt and Oprah is really big on like your word of the year and so it really fit nicely with what she's already doing and what was really beautiful is that she wanted to keep hiking. <laughs> she was like, is this oh. it? Oh. <laughs> and she was like, let's, I was like, oh, I got some more trails for you now. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and we went on and, and went up and looked at, at more of the redwoods and she would stop and look and mm. take it all in. And, and she talked about the redwoods that she had in her, she has like, I think over 600 redwoods um, okay. in her, 
on her property in Santa Barbara okay. and uh, and talked about how it's like a church for her to go and to spend time. And so she was already on message with what we're already in belief and conversation of. And so it was just a beautiful connection that for me was so special because it allowed me to be authentically who we were mm -hmm. and for Oprah to experience exactly what we do all over the country. Mm -hmm. So if you go to an outdoor mm -hmm. Afro event, yes. you're gonna do what Oprah did. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. we didn't change it up. It was mm -hmm. something that she allowed herself to be a part of and I'm thankful for her staff and her for just being present to what we had to offer. And you know, I don't know what's on the other side of this. I'm in it, obviously, but, you know, I just, you know, I, had, I did have a moment of prayer with my sister right before we, before she came, you know, just to ground myself. And I also re looked at those redwoods that if you, you know anything about these coast redwoods that under the surface, you know, they're all, their root systems are all knit together. They grow in these clumps. And I knew when I looked at them, I had to be like those redwoods. I had to stand firm and stand tall and knit myself together with the community around me to have, to hold this moment, you know, and to have this moment stand strong in its integrity. Mm. And uh, I'll be forever grateful for that, no wow. matter what happens. Okay. Well, <clears throat> Well, unfortunately, we got to bring it to a close, really. <laughs> Chris is looking at me, you know. I'm trying not to look oh, at him. Oh, Chris. Chris doesn't want us to have any fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. We're going to have to talk about not just Fred. <laughs> well, I just want to just do one last check in. Is there anything, you know, because I was going to ask about, you know, but my other last name was just going to be the future direction you know, of Outdoor Afro, or is there anything else that you would just want us to know? Because you've given us so much wisdom, a lot of great quotables, and for real, I want to give credit to the quotables. <laughs> but then also, you know, I think a great, like I said, vision, encouragement, motivation, just just by being in your presence before you even talk. Oh. Is there, you know, so is there either future direction? I, I know it's a future, I'm just saying, is there something you may want to add about that, or is there something that I didn't ask you that you want to leave us yeah, with? Yeah, I mean, we're, we are a young organization. You know, we haven't been around for 100 years, like a lot of the, you know, the older trees in the forest of, of this movement. And, you know, but we, we, and so that means that we still need support, you know, so I want to encourage people to support us. And you don't have to have an Afro to be a part of Outdoor Afro. Gotcha. You yeah. know, that we, we welcome, you know, the knowledge share, mm -hmm. the financial contributions, mm -hmm. the business development, uh, support, you know, because I'm always thinking of ways that we can continue to innovate and grow our work and have a healthy organization that provides, that will continue to provide opportunities for not only people to get outside, but for people to have careers, you know. So the future of Outdoor Afro is really going to be looking to expand our work so that we can employ more people. So that we're talking about not just like, okay, get people outside, but you know, I see people, you know, like, um, 
you know, Ashley Stewart here, yes. grad student, you know, yes. she, like she, she deserves to work in a place that will hold her gifts and treat them well and be in service of her passions. And so how might Outdoor Afro be able to grow in proportion to the growing number of people like Ashley mm -hmm. who can, you know, be able to have a professional pathway in this work? Because, you know, people need to have jobs, you know? We can't, we as activists have to get out of this idea that being broke means you're doing better work. No, honey, if you're not eating or able to pay your energy bill, you can't help people, okay? Just like the, the flight attendant tells, put your own mask on first, okay? So it's not that you gotta be, you know, wealthy or, you know, wearing, you know, Gucci bags and things like that necessarily, although I, you know, I like my bag. But, but, but we have to stay grounded in the fact that people have essential needs. And if we want to continue this work, we have to be good business people as well. And I, and I welcome all support to help us with that, that kind of scale and growth. Rue, this has been a blessing. I can say. I hope you. I can Same. say that to you. It's been a blessing Same. and a fortune for me. Me too. It's so good to see you again. Likewise. Gosh, it's been so long. I, you know, but we haven't changed. Well, I no. got. The, I got a beard. You. You still look. Amazing. Well, I just got the beard you. now, and I have a four heads turn to five here. But that's oh, all right, though. No, we good. Slim down a little bit. We'll be good. You, you, all, know? you all right. You <laughs> all right. You. Yeah, thank you so much. It's just really great to reconnect, and I just hope that we can keep mm -hmm. talking, you know, because it's not a, you know, the conversation mm -hmm. just continues. It's not, yeah. this is just a, a kickoff of more conversations. And, yes, and I continue to learn. I continue to grow. And, mm -hmm. you know, so there's all kinds of storyline to pursue. Okay. Well, it's well. Look, everyone. Now you're not gonna get a personal info, so I'm not gonna give you that. But uh, is there a way that people could like, you know, connect oh, with you, absolutely. and then if you want to connect with Outdoor Afro? Yes, Outdoor Afro across all the platforms, and mm -hmm. there's OutdoorAfro.com. If you want to learn more about me as a person, I have my own personal website called RooMap.com. and uh, you can reach me on all of my social at RooMap. R-U-E-M-A-double-P um, across all the platforms as well. So I encourage you to follow along and join in the conversation um, wherever you want. All right. Well, everyone, trust me, you didn't enjoy it as much as I did, so I'm not going to even say <laughs> I just hope you had a good time, but it's not going to be as good as Chris and I, okay? <laughs> uh, this has definitely been a blessing for us. Blessing it's fortunate for, me too. for us to Thank have you. you. Thank you Thank so much. You. Yale is stronger. Yale FES is stronger for having you. I think uh, our mm. outdoor um, industry SIG is stronger. Student interest group is stronger for having you. And Hartwood is definitely stronger for having you on the show. I'm grateful for it all. Well, thank you. Uh, until next time, everyone. I see Chris giving me that eye, so I'm shutting down, brother. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back. Take care. Hardwood is a production of the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies in New Haven, Connecticut. Our producer, engineer, and editor is Chris Perkins, a joint degree student between both the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies as well as the Yale School of Management, where he is getting a Master's of Environmental Management and a Master's in Business Administration. I am Thomas Richard Easley. We'll see you next time. Thank you.